Good morning. It's good to see you guys today. In the first line of this hymn, we sang these words, In Christ alone my hope is found. Hope is kind of an interesting thing. Hope is something that we always have, even when we're not thinking about it. You have hope that the sun is going to come up tomorrow, I guess because it always has. You have hope that your house is going to be there standing tall and strong when you get home today. It's not going to be gone. Why? Well, maybe because it's always been there. When you turn on the light switch, you have hope that the lights are going to turn on, even though you probably don't think about it. We have hope all the time. We, we expect things to go a certain way. We, we have hope for good days in the future. We have hope for all sorts of, of things. But these words we sung, they're pretty definitive. They're pretty absolute. That means they're kind of one way or the other. In Christ alone, my hope is found. That's easy to say. That's easy to sing. A little harder for us to actually believe that, to actually mean that. Because a lot of times we put our hope in all sorts of stuff other than Christ, not in Christ alone, but in our parents, in blessings like electricity, We put our hope in all sorts of things other than Christ all the time, and we show how silly we are when we put our hope in earthly stuff. You know why? Because there's no guarantee that the house is going to be there when we get home. There's no guarantee that the lights will turn on every time we flip the switch. There's no guarantee of good days ahead. I suppose a house could burn down. I suppose the power grid could go out and there'd be no electricity. I suppose we could have a lot of bad days. That could happen. And if our hope is in earthly stuff, well, we're going to be disappointed quite often. But our hope is in Jesus, the one who was dead and is now alive again. And that's a different kind of hope because no matter what happens in life, if the house isn't there because it burned down or if the lights don't turn on, or if we have bad day after bad day after bad day, the hope that Jesus gives us never changes because he's always alive. He still is today, and he will be forever and forever and forever. The hope that we have in Jesus never changes. It never dies. The hope we have in Jesus is hope of peace with God and eternal life with him where we will never again experience sadness. It's a pretty awesome kind of hope, and it's worth putting our hope in Jesus alone. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we ask that you would be patient with us and forgive us for all the times that we've put our hope in foolish things. Help us to see the value of putting our hope in you and in you alone. Help us to better appreciate day after day that no matter what happens in this life, even when it seems like we might have no hope at all, we have every reason for perfect hope because you live now and forever. We pray these things in your name, O Savior. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer. Amen. Did you know that in 1925, just barely 50% of American households had electricity? 1925, 50%. That means that we haven't had electricity as commonplace for 100 years yet. It won't be 100 years till 50% for two more years. And it was a while yet after 1925 till a percentage anywhere near what we see today had been achieved. But you flip that switch and the lights are going to go on, right? We've got a couple people in here who make sure that that happens. I take it for granted, do you? 
There was one time when I wasn't camping, uh, there was no expectation of getting off the grid for any amount of time. Um, Laramie was a little different than here. We had a big snowstorm one winter and the power stayed off for almost three full days. I think that's the longest that I've ever experienced life without electricity. The house somehow managed to stay above 45. I don't know how that happened, but we didn't get below 45 for three days. But I remember there were some times there when getting to be 48 hours plus, and I was starting to have thoughts like, what are we going to do if they don't come on tomorrow like everyone's saying they will? How much longer can we do this before there's a layer of ice on the toilets? (laughs) You, You start to wonder in a situation like that, what would happen if the power stayed off for a long time? I mean, for like months. There's people who think about these things. There's people in the government who study it. I read one estimate this week. Who knows if it's accurate or not? One estimate said that if the power in our nation stayed off for a year, 90% of the population would be dead by the end of that first year. Is that true? Part of me thinks probably. If all of a sudden the electricity wasn't here, if there was one of those big sun events where there was like the magnetic pulse thing and the power grid was fried and there was no electricity and all of our fuel systems, gasoline, diesel, natural gas, if they all came to a screeching halt, what would we do? Where would our hope be for tomorrow? People in Jesus' day were a hardier bunch little more uh, self-sufficient, right? They were truly off the grid, weren't they? These two guys walking to Emmaus. Raise your hand if you drove seven miles or so to get here, maybe more. Took them two to four hours depending on pace. And that was normal for them, right? They just walk seven miles. They leave in Jerusalem, go home to Emmaus. No big deal. For you and for me, what? 15 minutes at 30, right? Less if you can go more than 30. It's nothing for us. For them, probably wasn't much for them either. What's a two, three hour walk? Off they went. Hardy Bunch didn't rely on the grid like we do. What would be 90% death and destruction for them? What would that look like? Well, war, right? The only time that they really faced a 90% threat of destruction was if an enemy nation more powerful than theirs marched in and decided, we're not really interested in prisoners. Men, women, children, kill them all. We want the land. It had happened many times in history. And of course, we got to remember that the people who were in charge in Jerusalem in the time of Christ, they weren't Jewish people. They were the Romans. Foreigners. These two people, these two followers of Christ, probably not Um, The 12, maybe a part of the 70, right? Maybe a part of that group that got sent out two by two during Jesus' ministry all around the Holy Land. Where was their hope? Well, in government officials, I suppose. You hope that the Romans decide to let things stay the way they are and don't destroy their, their nation. We heard during Holy Week that the high priest was concerned along with the rest of the Jewish leaders that if they made a bad move or if a leader got too powerful, the Romans might just say, ah, it's not worth it and just wipe them all off the face of the earth. 
But then this Jesus comes along, and they look at him as someone different. <laughs> We've talked about this before, but I mean, what kind of leader can raise the dead? That's a pretty good leader. What kind of leader can feed his army with a little boy's lunch? That'd be a pretty great leader. If you wanted hope against the Romans, if you wanted earthly stability, this was the guy. They hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, but their hope was dead, wasn't he? Crucified and buried. When the Bible speaks about hope in a Christian sense, it speaks about certain hope. It speaks about hope that can't be dinged or nicked by anything that happens in life. Nothing. Nothing can touch the hope we have in Christ. Well, they clearly didn't have that kind of hope because their hope died. And so today our focus is all about hope restored. The fact that Jesus alive restores hope, but obviously a better kind of hope than the hope that they had. I don't know about you, but I've, I've known this account for a long time. I'm guessing most of you, if not all of you, have heard this one before. It's a pretty famous account. I've wondered a lot during my life, why does he hide himself? He doesn't do that with the Marys at the tomb. He doesn't do that when he appears to Peter. He doesn't do that when he appears to the disciples in the locked room. Why here? Wouldn't that solve the problem? Like instantly? If he just shows up next to them on the road and says, what are you guys discussing? (laughs) They're actually probably arguing because the word, when Jesus says, what are you discussing? It's a word like they're throwing words back and forth kind of intensely. So there's two people walking along, probably in a pretty heated discussion. And it's the person who walks up, what are you guys arguing about? If they would have turned to look who said it and saw Jesus standing there, like, wouldn't that have been enough? Jesus, you're alive. Hope restored. Done. Moving on to the next event, right? Why does he do this? Does it seem a little dramatic? Like, kind of hiding yourself for the big reveal at the end? What is he after? Why do it this way? How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What do the scriptures say concerning him? Do you know? You're all Lutherans, so once upon a time you sat at the feet of a gifted instructor and you were instructed, right? You were taught all these things, right? And yet I know amongst you exists a fear of embarrassment. What would happen if we put you up against one of our recent confirmands? How much do you really know? How much do you really remember? I know from talking to a a good number of you that there's a 
A bit of uncertainty to that question. I don't know how well I'd do. But I learned it all. Why Bible study? Just so you can learn some more trivia? So you can file away some more facts that maybe you could pull out at some point? Why get into the Word at all on a regular basis, personally or as a group? You just come and have me preach at you every now and then. Why dig? Why wrestle? Why ask questions? Why, why push back? Why study? What's the point? Well, I suppose you want to know what the Bible actually says. Do you believe it? Do you know what the Bible says and believe what the Bible says? Why does Jesus hide himself from them? So he can reveal himself where he always had been. On the pages of the word. Long before he took on flesh, he was there. Detailed promises from the garden to Noah, to Abraham, to Jacob, who wrestled with God and overcame and name was changed to Israel, who had sons with four different women, the tribes, to Judah, to Jesse, to David. Moses and the prophets had been writing it down for 1,500 years. Just let that sink in once again. For 1,500 words, it wasn't rumor, it wasn't myth, it, it wasn't uh, oral legend, it was written down. It could be referenced and reviewed and memorized and studied. For 1,500 years, it was written down before he even came. It was right there. The Christ had to suffer and he had to die and he had to rise. And then, of course, while he walked the earth, what did he do? He said, I have to suffer, I have to die, I have to rise. They knew that. They had intellectually heard him. And what is more, it's the third day. They had heard Jesus say, on the third day, I will rise again. His enemies believed that, remember? That's why the guards were at the tomb. The guards were at the tomb because his enemies heard him say, I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. And they didn't want his devious disciples to come and steal his body and take him away and act like he had risen. So they put Roman soldiers there who are to fight to the death or else be killed if they fail in their duty to make sure that no funny business happens. They knew what Jesus had said. They knew what the scriptures said. They knew it already. Ah, but they didn't believe it. They didn't believe what the scriptures said. Really had no impact on them. Their only hope was in earthly stuff. And that hope was dead. And up walks the patient one. Not so weak as to tell a lie. You fools! He's honest with them. He calls them what they are, fools. But he's patient with them. He teaches them. Again, 
what they already knew. He patiently walks them through the scriptures, probably for hours. This was a long walk. And he takes them through the pages of scripture and he shows them exactly who he is. And then he shows them himself. But did you notice that when they talked about it, they didn't say, wasn't that amazing when he showed us who he really was? They said, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures? The blessing was not in visually seeing him. The blessing was in seeing him on the pages of scripture as he opened the word to them where he had always been and showed them who he truly is the one who had to suffer for a world full of sinners who died our death and who now lives forever. And all of a sudden, their hope was alive again. It was a far better hope than the hope they had had before. Hope of eternal peace with God. And it changed everything for them. Over the course of the next 40 days, they would see him again, And others would see him, and then they would go out, and they would share the incredible news that Jesus, the Christ, did not stay dead, but is alive. But never forget that these two believed it because of what the Scripture said, not because they saw him with their own eyes. And the same is true for you. Your heart can burn within you, too. And it does when you study the Word. I'm not going to make a salesman's pitch to you that says, I want to do more Bible study here. Do it to make me happy. I'm not going to do that. But there is nothing that stops Christians from getting into the word. I've had a lot of people say to me lately, ah, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You know what I get to say to them? Yeah, but Christians go to church. It's what they do. Not because they have to, but because they want to. Isn't the same thing true with Bible study? (laughs) Christians don't have to do Bible study to be Christians. Yeah, but Christians study the word of God. That's what Christians want to do. Because Jesus isn't dead. We don't have dead hope. We have living hope. And he's revealed to us in the scriptures. So we want to be there. Forget the embarrassment nonsense. Those are lies of the devil. He wants to keep you away because you might get embarrassed. Nonsense, get rid of that. What ridiculous lies. Christians are in the word together because that's where Jesus is found. And we can't see him with our eyes right now. Not yet, we will soon. But we get to see him in the word. We get to see him where he's always been. And when we do, It's so awesome. You can even feel it right here. Amen.